about uh, a list of things that if, if God were to say, Reggie, I'm going to let Satan take one thing out of this church. And I listed uh, preaching. Uh, and I kind of got, I appreciate all the folks that made comments about it. I listed preaching, singing, serving, good works. Uh, I can't even remember all the lists, but a big long list of things that you can do that we normally might say that's involved in church life. But there's one thing, what would it be that I'd say, God, don't take that one. Preaching is important. It's by the foolishness of preaching that men are saved. But that's not the most important thing that goes on at this church. I like good singing. God knows I like good singing. But good singing is not the most important thing going on in this church. And I like praising and I like worship and I like serving, but that's not the most important. There's a lot of things we do here, evangelism, missions, and all that. But there's one thing that this church was founded upon and has been sustained by all these years, and without it, all the rest of it would collapse. And that's prayer. Now, that does not negate the importance of preaching, evangelism, missions, anything of that nature. They're all important. They're all critical. But without prayer... It'd just be dead as last year's rocks. Don't mount anything. And when we get into 1 Timothy here, Paul is going to, he's, he's equipping Timothy. He's telling him how to behave himself in the house of God. And he's teaching him how to minister to people. And basically how to, how do you operate at a church? And he goes through all these things that we went through in 1 Timothy. And we get, I'm going to pick it up in chapter 1 and verse number 18. This charge I committed unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went on before thee, that thou buyest them my war good for. I just now realized, did we pass out those, those, those 50? Levi, are you here anywhere? He's my pastor. Did we pass out those, those things? They were back there on the deal. I am so sorry. I'm, I'm out of whack. Get 15 guys to help you, and let's pass those out real quick. It's lesson number 48. It's on that deal. We got to get those out. I'm sorry. Anyway, stay with me. He said that uh, this charge you committed to these sons according to the prophecies which went on before thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare. Now, if there's anything at church, yes, sir. Well, they were supposed to be back there on the on the table back there. They're not there. Did you? If you have your 52 Bible lessons, if you brought them with you to church, it's lesson uh, 48 on prayer. If you did happen to bring them. Lesson 48 on prayer. They're supposed to have been left back there, but maybe they're not. I, I told them to. They're not sitting over there, are they, Karen? That's what you get for having a preacher like me who's disorganized. But anyway, I don't think they're there. But if you have your lessons, just lessons. Other than that, just listen good, I guess. Amen? Just listen good. You find, there's some more 52 Bible Out lessons right there. Just like your hand. Help her here pass them out, guys, if you want to. We'll get something going here one way or another. But here's what I want to tell you. Paul is telling Timothy that ministry is a warfare. Can I tell you right now, coming to church sometimes is a warfare. The devil is going to fight you. Uh, uh, there's a lot of things that's evolved. And God wants you to see it as a spiritual warfare. Now tonight, I'm going to preach on the specific. I'm going to go back to that message last Sunday night and preach about warfare. Verse 19, holding faith in a good conscience with some having put away faith, have committed shipwreck. Of whom is Hymenius and Alexander, whom I've delivered unto Satan, that they may learn to blaspheme. In 2 Timothy, he's going to talk about that. Did they happen to find them, boys? Did they find them anywhere? I don't know. Does that care? You found a few. Okay. Anyway, uh, Hymenius and them guys were teaching that the resurrection had already passed. 
And you talk about tough church service when you deliver somebody over to the flesh, for the, to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. We're going to talk about that a little bit tonight. Everybody, please, I don't know, I feel like I've really messed up everything. I just got everything distracted. Let's pray. Lord, uh, I don't know. I just forgot, Lord, and evidently they're not there, and I don't know, Lord, all about it. But you know, and God, there's nothing to surprise you. And Lord, what I don't want is distraction from this message. And I'm praying right now, the Holy Spirit, grab hold of this service. Don't let the devil rob us of this important thing. Lord, again, if there's anything, one thing I wouldn't want you to take away from this ministry and it's prayer. And God, you po- told Timothy the importance of prayer and our families, our marriages, our children, everything, God, not just the work of the Lord is held up and sustained through prayer. God, without it, there's nothing. Lord, I pray now, God, that you'll grab hold of this service and may it be a blessing to these people and, and Lord, glorify your holy name. And God, I pray that a spirit of prayer will come upon this congregation, upon these families, upon individuals. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I had an uncle who was in World War II who was called to preach while he was on the Okinawa battlefield. And he came back and he went to Lebanon, Missouri, him and his wife and three children. They they rented, I believe, a storefront. If I got this right, they rented a storefront. It's my uncle Dean Rhodes. And uh, his children had the singing group, the New Horizons. Some of you may know of them, but that was, those are my cousins. And Dean went up there when he got back to the United States from World War II, moved his family up there, rented a storefront, started a church. His children told me this story. They said, Reggie, for months, no one came to church, even though we advertised. He said, Daddy would come home from work. He was a stucco plaster man. And he would go out and knock doors every evening and knock on doors and invite people to church and try to win people to Christ and knock and knock and knock. And nobody came to church for months. He said, one Sunday morning, glory hallelujah, two real elderly women walked into church. We thought the whole town had come. We were so excited. Somebody finally came to church. But he said there was kind of this attitude, but Lord, they're just two old women. But they were two special old women. And they were women whom God had led to that church to pray for that ministry. When Dean asked him, what, what, what brought you here? They said, God told us to come and start praying for this ministry. And uh, I will tell you this, that he stayed at that church for 50 years. He was the pastor of that church. One unbelievable amount of people to Christ, an unbelievable effect for Jesus Christ across the area. And I could go on for 30 minutes about how they affected it, but here's what I'm going to tell you. That work was founded on somebody who had the spirit of prayer on them. I might be able to holler and run and jump around and preach a decent message, but without the Holy Spirit working on the inside, it's nothing. You might be able to sing and play the piano wonderfully, but if it's not undergirded by the Holy Spirit of God, it doesn't amount to anything. We might do all kinds of work, but if the Holy Spirit's not been, the, not been supported by prayer and embedded by prayer, it doesn't amount to anything. And so we get into chapter two. Now, everybody like chapter two. Are you listening? Here we go. So everybody say amen if you're still in church. You're not out. You understand? Amen. I exhort therefore. Now, he said, Timothy. If you want your ministry to be successful, if you want your ministry to glorify God, if you want to see something really happen, I exhort thee, therefore, that first of all, underline that in your Bible, first of all, 
More important than you coming to church, more important than you preaching, more important than singing, more important than evangelism, more important than CDs, more important than social media, more important than anything we're going to do is learning how to pray. Can I tell you that your home life and your personal Christian life is no greater than your prayer life? And God wants us to pray. He said, first of all, Timothy, the most important thing about the ministry is going to be prayer life. And he says this. First of all, supplications and prayers and intercessions and giving thanks may be made for all men. That's not easy to do. I don't like all men. I love all men, but I don't like all men. There are some men doing some things and taking some things I don't like at all. But let me just tell you something. God says you still pray for them. You still pray for them. If, I'll tell you, Joe Biden needs our prayer. I'm just honest with you. I mean, you know, I don't like, I don't like nothing about the guy. Nothing. And the farther he goes, the worse it gets. But he's still there. I don't think he's legitimate. Just going to be honest with you. Shouldn't he probably said that? I don't think it was a legitimate election. And I could go into that and I could give you some evidence or things that I literally know myself. But I'm saying this. I do not think. But nonetheless, he's in the office. So I need to pray for him. Now, he said for kings and for all that are in authority. That means your local police. When you see a police car, don't go. Oh, there's a cop. Go. Lord, help him today. Lord, watch over him today. Strengthen him today. Bless his wife and children. Keep him safe so that they've got a daddy to come home to him this evening. Pray for all in authority. Why? Watch it. Look at it. That we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. God says if you pray for those in authority, it will help you to have a quiet and a peaceable life lived in all, in all godliness and honesty. He said, verse 3, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who will have all men to be saved. By the way, that, get that down. God wants everybody to be saved. Amen. He's, by the way, verse number three is a verse on the deity of Jesus Christ. I'm just, I'll tell you what, I'm just going to back up, let her fly, and when I get ready to quit, I'll quit. Amen. We're just going to preach. Here we go. Verse number three. For this is good and acceptable in sight of God our Savior. Tell your Mormon friends to read 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 3. Tell your Jehovah Witness friends, tell your people don't know that Jesus is God. That verse says God our Savior. Jesus Christ is God Almighty. It's all through the Bible. And so I'm just saying that's a good verse for you to know. If you've got neighbor, uh, Mormon neighbors or people don't believe Jesus Christ is God, say, hey, listen, you've got to call God's word a liar not to believe that he's God. Verse number two, we'll have all men to come to be saved and come to knowledge of the truth. And God wants you to know the truth. Amen. Verse number five, for there's one God and one mediator between God and me and the man Christ Jesus. That makes every Roman Catholic priest in the world that ever has been and ever will be a, fa- a fraud and a false prophet. Amen. I want a man to Christ, a Catholic man to Christ with that verse. He came to my house. We sat down at my table, opened the Bible up. I said, listen, and I took him. That's the very first verse I took him to. He was mad at me because I preached against Catholicism. He was raised Roman Catholic, and he just was mad. He didn't like it because I preached against Catholicism. So we had a meeting, and I said, I had him to read it. He read it. For there is one God and one mediator between God and me and the man Christ Jesus. I said, I'm not asking you what that means. I'm asking you what that says. Well, he said, it says there's one God and one mediator between God and me and the man Christ Jesus. I said, now you tell me what your Catholic priests are doing. You know what he said? I don't know. And what blowed him out of the saddle was he had two priests that were supposed to come with him to my house. And they both backed out on him the last minute. That blew him out of the water. And about three weeks later, I didn't didn't lead him to Christ, actually. That's inaccurate. He got saved about two weeks later. 
at a church in Mountain Grove. But you know what verse blew him out of the water? When, he said, when I said, if there's just one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, that means that your priests are they're, they're false. They're not a mediator between you and God. And neither is Mary a mediator. Okay? And that verse flipped that. That's the verse, the seed of the truth that was planted in that man's heart that led him to receive Jesus Christ as his Savior and to abandon the Catholic religion. It, it, it knocked the props out from underneath everything he'd ever been taught. And you know what he told me? He said, I don't know the Bible. They don't teach us the Bible. They tell us not to read the Bible. That's why he wanted his freedom. Verse number six, who gave himself, talking about Jesus Christ, a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Whereunto I am ordained a preacher and an apostle. I speak the truth in Christ and lie not a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. He's telling Timothy this. He said, listen, you need to be a preacher. And of course, apostle was one that had to see the risen Savior. And he said, I'm a teacher. And by the way, there's pastoring and teaching as a gift in the Bible. And any preaching ought to be teaching and any teaching ought to have a little preaching in it. That's the way I believe. Amen. Now watch verse number eight. I will... Therefore, that men pray where? Everywhere. Everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and without doubting. There are things that can affect your prayer life. But let me just say something to you. This is taking you back to Moses in Exodus chapter uh, 17, where they were in a battle with Amalek, who is a picture of the flesh. And there they was a warfare. And when Moses held his hands up, they would prevail. They'd win. But when his arms got heavy, they would, they would, they would be defeated. And the, here's the, t- the lesson on that. When you're praying, you live in victory. When you're not praying, you live in defeat. When you're praying, you'll have victory over your flesh. But when you get weary and don't pray, I'm going to tell you something. It's easier to come to church than it is to pray. Is that not right? Could you not watch with me one hour, Jesus said? And here's what I'm getting to this morning, just plain and simple. I want us all to learn how to pray better and pray more. And to be a people of honest to goodness prayer. Now, in this lesson here, let's let's take off this thing. So the first verses there in verse number chapter two are about me. He said, I pray everywhere. Now, uh, I'll tell you what I like. Let me tell you the kind of praying I like. I don't like monkeying around praying. I don't like flowery prayers. I don't like you to pray around me out loud and tell me what a nice person and how much you love and appreciate me when you're praying. That's I hate to say this, but that's strange fire. Watch that. You don't pray out loud. I don't even, man, where did I get off on that at? You don't pray and say nice things about people that you're praying next to. Now, you may honestly appreciate them, but why don't you just tell them? Oh, God, my brother, he's such a blessing to me. Oh, Lord, you know how much I think of him. I love him. There's a little something wrong with that. You say, well, I don't think so. Well, help yourself. I don't much care for it. I'm just going to honest with you. Now, I'm talking about praying. We're talking about praying here, okay? Now, I want you to, to go to 2 Corinthians. Now, he, he, now, keep this in mind. Here's the whole deal I want to get to. In the last part of chapter 1, he talks about we're in a warfare. In the first part of chapter 2, he talks about prayer. Prayer is where you get into intense spiritual warfare. This is what Paul is getting across to him. And prayer is the area of it, the front line attack in your Christian life. And it is the place where Satan wants to defeat you more than anything. I hate to tell you this. He'd rather you read your Bible than prayer. He'd rather you go soul winning than pray. He'd rather you go to church than pray. He'd rather you dress right than pray. He'd rather you do anything than pray. Because prayer is where the power comes from. 
And without the power, everything else you're doing is just going to be kind of a flop along, do nothing deal. Ain't going to amount to anything. Everything, it took the power of Almighty God to save you. And it takes the power of Almighty God to have a ministry or to live the Christian life and to have the power of God in your life. And it's through prayer. I don't understand much about prayer. All I know to do is talk to God and get at it. Amen. I don't, I don't, not interested in flowerly long words that I don't understand. Uh, Peter was walking on the water, started singing and said, Lord, help. That's praying, amen. amen. That's praying. Now, if you go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, they, uh, if you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, can you put that up on there, guys? Watch this. Watch this. Now, connect this. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. Paul said to Timothy, you're in a warfare. And the first thing you're going to need to know about your warfare is how to pray. So I'm telling you, first of all, Timothy, learn how to pray. And here's what you pray for. Now watch this. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to pulling down the strongholds. You want to pull down the strongholds that's in the hearts and minds of, of your loved ones, that's in the heart and minds of people. It's going to be through prayer. What? Casting down imaginations, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Now I want you to go to Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 10. Watch verse number 10 through 20. Ephesians chapter 6, but watch this. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord, the power of his mind. Put on the whole armor of God. What's that about? Warfare. Hey, church, we're in a warfare. I don't know if you know it or not, but the communists and the socialists and the ungodly and the atheists and the God-haters, we're in war against them in this nation today. We are in a religious, spiritual, cultural warfare for the soul of this country. And let me tell you, the, the, the greatest weapon that you and I have is the weapon of all prayer. Let's look at it. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, against the rulers of the darkness of the world, spiritual weakness, high places. What? Back, back down, back down. You can't see any of these people. You can't see that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness and the spiritual wickedness of this world. There are demonic powers wanting to destroy your marriage, wanting to destroy your life, wanting to destroy this church. If Satan had his way, he'd blow this church out of the water this afternoon. He wants to destroy you. We are wrestling against unseen powers. We're at warfare. It's not Joe Biden. It's the devil. Amen. We've got to understand who the enemy is. Satan wants to distract us and get us off on this and that and the other. But underneath and behind the wall are the ones who's pulling the strings. And that's the devil and demons and so forth. Now, he said, take, he said, stand therefore, verse 13, wherefore taking the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And if you and I are not living the evil day, I don't know when we are. And having done all, do something, Stand. We're talking about warfare. You don't back up. You don't run. Take it. Saying having your loins girded about with truth. Having on the breastplate of righteousness. Your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith. The word of God. Wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. You put that word of God up and the devil throws that stuff at you. And God says you can quench it. Now watch this. Take the helmet of salvation. Thinking right, you're saved and know the truth, all right? The sword of the Spirit, that's the Bible, which is the Word of God. Watch this now. Praying, and this is the last weapon mentioned. Praying with all prayer, right there. And supplication in the Spirit, and watching there too with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. 
Paul said there's all these different uh, armor and, and weapons, but he said uh, under everything, all of that has to be undergirded by prayer. Okay. Now, in your introduction there, it says, God talks to us through the Bible. We talk to God through prayer. I want to say something to you. One of the sweetest things that ever happened to you is when you have your personal Bible reading, is to be reading your Bible and let, just let God talk to you. Do not look at your Bible reading as some kind of a regimental duty of Christianity. It'll mess you up. You think, I ain't got time to read my Bible today. Oh, I got to run. Hurry up, let's get our Bible reading in. I am telling you, we need to slow down sometimes. We need to say, God, you're coming first. God, if I have to get up at four o'clock in the morning, you're going to come first. I am not going to get robbed of spending time with you. I'm going to tell you right now, you want to know why preachers burn out right and left, why Christian school teachers burn out right and left, why mamas and daddies burn out right and left, is because they are being driven and not led. And not being led to green pastures and still waters. And that green pastures and still waters is where you're taking time to read your Bible and say, God, open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. Lord, here's thy servant. Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. God, talk to me through your word today. What you'll find out, all of a sudden you're in communion and you're praying and you're talking to God in a manner and in a fashion that you maybe never knew before in your life. Now he said there, he said there uh, that he said we talk to God through prayer as the Bible was inspired in, by the Holy Spirit and has Christ as its central theme. So also acceptable prayer must be in the Holy Spirit and in the name of Christ. Now, J Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 26, verse 41, he said, watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. You want to know how to have victory over temptation? Watch and pray. Be alert and pray. There's power in prayer. The Holy Ghost of God will move in. I'm just going to tell you something. It's kind of bad to say, but it's just truth. I'm stupid. I'm foolish. I ain't got enough sense to come out of the rain, hardly spiritually speaking, except God to take care of me. If God hadn't kept me, I wouldn't be in the ministry. If he had left me to my own foolishness and my own sinfulness and my own rottenness, I, I, wouldn't even, I, I doubt if Karen and I would be married today. But God has kept me by his power. But I have learned to pray this. Lord, save me from my own foolishness. Save me from my own flesh. Keep me from my own stupidity. Get to where you learn how to pray like that because that's just the honest truth. If God didn't keep you, you ain't going to be kept. Job did this. The Bible said he went out every morning, made sacrifices for his children, offered up prayers for his children. The Bible teaches all through the Old Testament people praying. Jesus prayed three times and went back to his disciples. Paul prayed three times for this thing to thorn the flesh. There's a deal about the th three praying three times about an issue. Now you say, Reggie, what do we get into the nature of prayer? There are number one, the nature of prayer. I want you to get this down. Before you get into confession of sin, I'll tell you what the Bible starts out in Matthew. Said, Hallowed be thy name. Our Father which is in heaven. By the way, you cannot honestly have communion with God and pray unless you have him as your Father and Jesus Christ as your intercessor, your mediator, your advocate. All right? But here's something I would suggest to you. As I've gotten older, instead of just getting on my knees and, and start telling God what I want him to do for Reg Kelly... I just say, Lord, I just want to tell you I love you. Lord, you're so good. You're so wonderful. 
You've been so faithful to me. You've been so kind to me. You've been so long-suffering. God, I just want to tell you I love you. And you know what's funny? Here in the last couple of years, I just kind of, that's about it sometimes. Lord, I, I, I got more than I need. I don't really need anything. I just need your grace. You know, I mean, yeah, there's things. Don't get me. I've got burdens on my heart and so forth. I tell the Lord. But I really believe we ought to come, hallowed be thy name. Hallowed be thy name. God is holy. God is righteous. God is good. But if you want to have prayer, I mean, here's the first thing. Look at what it says. A, confession of sin. Now, I'll tell you what. We need to get back to this. Confession of sin. What's it mean to confess your sin? The Bible said if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confession is to put Psalms 51 up, boys, if you don't care. Confession of sin is being honest with God and telling him what you did. Lord, I looked at that woman and I lusted. I need your forgiveness. Lord, I've had an adulterous heart. I need your forgiveness. Lord, I I looked at that guy's pickup truck and I got jealous and kind of irritated and, and didn't like him very well. Lord, that old boy's farm, I've been wishing I had his farm for 30 years. Lord, I've been jealous of this guy. I've been envious. I've I've had bitterness. Tell him. Confession. You don't just walk up and say, you know what a judge wants a criminal to do? Is confess the crime. Many a judge would be more lenient if they just be honest and say, I did it. Psalms chapter 51. Have mercy. If you want to learn how to confess sin, look at this. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions. Yes, sir. I am sick to death of American people who will not take personal responsibility. Are you talking about make me want to vomit this week? That fellow who got in that car and drove through that crowd up there in Wisconsin or wherever it was at. Waukesha, some Indian name like that, all right? Kind of like Cherokee Road, all right? Anyway, he got up and drove through, killed how many people? Six people? Had on his Facebook how he hated white people and uh, he uh, admired Hitler and all this kind of stuff. He runs through there and kills. And you know what his mama did this week? Anybody read his mama's letter to the public? I did. Sickest thing I ever read in my life. Now you listen to me. Blamed society for her son's conduct. She said, the system has failed us. Watch this. He was raised in a Christian home. He had grandpas that were ministers. And the system failed him. And we didn't have enough mental, he's got mental health problems and we didn't have no, we didn't have, we didn't have no, uh, just the, the mental health services failed him. That's what's wrong with this country. It's a bunch of stinking low-down, I mean, makes me sick mamas and sick daddies who will not say, my son sinned. And blame everybody else in the world for what your children's doing. I'm going to tell you something. She's not going to get any help. He's not going to get any help. Nobody's going to get any help till you get honest with God and say, I have sinned. 
You're not going to get any help blaming everybody else for everything. I'm so fed up with this victimization and rationalization and justification and blaming everybody else. I'm going to tell you something. You mark this in your day book. When you die, it's going to be you standing before God Almighty and all that garbage about dad and mom and my brother and my sister and my teacher and the police and the legislator. I tell you, God will slap you silly. It's you, amen. It's you. I'm telling you, if you want to, hey, you want to get blessed this morning before you leave this church house? Sit there in your seat. Let the Holy Ghost of God remind you of your sin and say, God, that's the truth I sin. God, I got ugly with my wife. I, I got a bad attitude toward my wife. Just sit there and get honest about it. Some of you women, I've had a nasty attitude toward my husband. Get honest about it, amen? You say, well, I never have. I don't think you're lying. I don't think you're telling the truth right there. You ought to ask God for you for lying. I'm telling you, confession of sin. You want to get in prayer life, you got to get honest with God. He's holy. He's going to deal with your sin first thing. As a Christian person. So you know why people get discouraged about prayer? Because they're bypassed confession. Oh, they want God to hear this prayer and God to hear that prayer and God to do this, but they don't want to talk to God about the sin. I'm just telling you right now. Watch this. Verse 6. Roll it up, verse number 6. Behold, here's, here's one of the greatest verses in the entire 66 books of the Bible. This, but this verse because I love this verse, I'm just being honest with you. God gave me a love for this verse, and this, this verse has kept my head above water for 40 some years now. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts. Truth. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. I'm telling you right now, help Reggie says, God said, Reggie, you've been jealous of that preacher. Well, 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 well. No, 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 you've been jealous. You quit alibi and you quit talking. You quit that nonsense. Don't you give me that garbage, Reggie. Does God ever talk to you like that? Well, maybe you need to have a good day. Lord, speak and I'll listen. Let him talk to you, amen. Maybe God's saying you're a lazy hound dog. You need to get to work. You're a sloth. You're a sluggard. All you do is brag about how much work you do, but you don't work. I'm just telling you, until you get truth, God is, I am the way, the truth. And God don't monkey with nobody till they get honest about it. Some of you sitting here today have never been saved. You've never been saved. You've been baptized. You've said your prayer, all that, but there's never been repentance of sin and faith in Jesus Christ. You know how to talk. You know how to act, but you're as empty as a hollow jug. Why don't you get honest? You know how I got saved? By being honest about myself that I wasn't saved. That's how I got saved. Till I finally said, you know what? I'm a lost, religious, hypocritical sinner headed to hell. And I finally got honest. And when I got honest, the Holy Ghost of God went to work on me. It's a confession of sin. Then number B. I mean, I'm just telling you. Say, God, I did it. You did what? Lord, watch this. I did it. What? I did it. You ain't confessed yet. 
I lied. Y'all, there we go. You're a liar. Yes. That's confession. Getting honest with God. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts. Can I tell you something? If you want to put some spring in your legs today, and you want to feel the glory of God coming, you just say, Lord, I'm done today. I'm going to leave church clean as a whistle. I'm going to, t- I'm going to confess my sin. I'm not going to do it arrogantly or like blame everybody else. I am the one that has sinned before you, and I want things to take. I don't know what everybody else in church is going to do today, whether they're going to pop bubble gum and think about the, what they watched on the show last night or dream about it. But I'm going to get Get my sins confessed so I can have the cleanness of spirit and the joy of the Lord in my soul. Hey, you don't need to speak in tongues. You don't need anything else. You need to confess your sin to Almighty God. Amen. I'm telling you, it'll clean you up. It'll make you free. It'll make you right. Amen. Amen. This is what America needs. Amen. I have sin. I have sin. How'd the old particle son ever get coming home? You know what he said to his father? Well, my brother wasn't treating me right, Dad. That's one reason I left. Oh, really? Well, I didn't feel like I was being treated right by Mama. Oh, really? (laughs) No, you read your Bible. He said, I have sinned. And the day and the moment you and your heart say to God Almighty, I have sinned. Not my brother, not my sister, but it's me, oh, Lord. Standing in the need of prayer. It's not somebody else. When we get down to this old time, old fashioned, Holy Ghost believing that God requires confession of sin, then all of us, you know, you know why your prayer life's deader than last year's rocks? It's because you won't confess your sin. You're all the time asking God for candy out of heaven, but you won't confess your sin. And God said, Nope. I'm going to deal with this first. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts. I want to ask you, are you honest with God about where you're at today? You have a besetting sin, guess what? The rest of us do too. Why don't you just get honest with God and say, Lord, I'm telling you, God, I'm fighting this thing. It's a bothering me. It's, it's, I, every morning I get up, it seems like it's a, str- it's a struggle for me. God just wants you to be honest. Then number B there is supplication for oneself. Now, supplication is when you petition God or entreat God and earnestly ask God for maybe for yourself or for other people. Now, let me just tell you how simple prayer is. John R. Rice said this, and I agree with him. He said, it's just asking. Just asking. God's not interested in platitudes. God just wants you to ask. Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be open. But prayer is basically asking. It could be asking for yourself. I'm going to tell you the kind of asking I like. Old Sam Jones was an old time Methodist circuit riding preacher and he's a pretty rough old preacher. And he uh, had been preaching in the area there, in a rural area, and been a lot of opposition and uh, the moonshine crowd and all this stuff. And there's a fight in him off a heart. Well, one day an old boy that he had really had a lot of trouble with, Brother Luke, had fought the ministry a lot and, you know, lied about it and done everything in the world. He got, his daughter showed up and said, Sam, Reverend Sam said, my daddy wants you to come. He's a dying. Said he got bit by a rattlesnake and he wants you to come pray for him. <laughs> Sam said, your daddy fought me for everything I've ever stood for. I ain't coming. And Sam's wife nosed up next to him and said, Sam, Jesus died for him too. Well, Holy Spirit pricked his heart. 
So Sam throws his coat on, follows daughter back to the house. The old boy's laying back there in the old bed, the little, one, little old small room, and he's a groaning, his old legs swelled up. I mean, look like a stovepipe, and he's like, oh, oh, he's a groaning. Old Sam walks in there, and he looked, he reached up and said, oh, Sam, I knew you'd come, Sam. I want you to pray, God, heal me. God, pray for me. I got bit by a rattler in my head, Sam. Please pray for me. I ain't got any confidence enough. You're the only preacher stood against me. Sam, I know you're a man of God. Would you please pray for me? Sam said, I'll pray for you. He dropped on his knees, laid his hand on the bed, said, dear God, I want to thank you for this rattlesnake bite. Lord, I appreciate you sending that rattlesnake because that got a hold of him. My preaching never could get a hold of him. But God, you got his attention now with the rattlesnake. Lord, would you send a lot more rattlesnakes to bite a lot more people in this country? <laughs> amen. <laughs> That's a praying amen. That's praying, amen. Oh, I'm going to tell you, we need some people who pray the rattlesnakes in, amen. I'm going to tell you, sometimes you need to pray, God, blow their life out of the water until they come to Jesus, amen. Quit saying, Lord, bless them, bless them, bless them, bless them. Lord, I will tell you, Lord, get them, amen. I'm telling you right now, we're, we don't, we're, oh, we want our children to get saved. We want this and that, but we don't want God to get a hold of them. Well, listen, I'm telling you right now, we need to, un- we need to understand that, listen, God, uh, God is the one. I'll tell you what I was thinking about, old, uh, uh, not Sam Jones, but old James Stewart, and it's not the movie star. No, Stewart was an old time pre- preacher, but he told about his salvation experience. And he said, my daddy died when I was young. And he said, I was living with my mama after I was grown. And said, uh, he said, every day of my life, mama made me oatmeal and put on the table and I ate my oatmeal and, and, and she went in the side room and prayed and then I went on to work. And Mr. Stewart said, he said, I just sat there and eat my oatmeal and said, mama's in there praying. Said, I could hear, you know, kind of groaning before the Lord and seeking God. Said, all of a sudden, said, mama went, Woo! glory to God. Said, I could, what's the matter mama in there? I said, man, that door swung open, bedroom door. She come out and said, oh, the said, James, you're saved, you're saved, you're saved. He said, I stood up, half finished bullets. I said, mama, I ain't saved. Said, she grabbed me by the shoulders and shook me like that and said, you're saved, you're saved, you're saved. James said, I walked out of that house and slammed that old screen. He said, I can still hear that screen door slamming behind me. He said, I walked down to work. He said, I'm back here in the old boiler room where I worked at. And he said, about 1030 in the morning, said, oh, sweet Holy Ghost came to visit me. And he said, you are a sinner headed to hell and you better get saved while you can right now. He said, there's a man I worked with I knew as a Christian. He said, I run out there and I said, can you tell me how to be saved? Can you pray with me? And I said, why sure? He said, we knelt down there beside that old boiler. And he said, I asked God to forgive me of my sin and asked Jesus to save my life. And I trusted the blood of Jesus Christ. And he said, I come up out there a new man. And he said, I started doing what mama did. Glory to God. I'm saved. I'm saved. I'm saved. And he said, told us, he said, I went and told the, the foreman. He said, man alive. He said, would you let me off for a little while and I go back down? I need to tell my mama I got saved. He said, sure, go tell her. He said, I ran back down the street. I walked to the sidewalk and walked to the sidewalk of my house. I opened that door up and my mama sitting there in the old rocking chair. She's crocheting, rocking back and forth. He said, mama, guess what? She said, you're saved. <laughs> you're saved. 
He said, how'd you know? He said, God told me this morning when I was praying. He said, in Romans chapter 4, they which call those things that be not as though they were. And she said, well, God, I've been praying for you to get saved for about 15 years. And this morning, God told me I'm going to save him today. Amen. Yes. That's the kind of praying that gets people saved. That's kind of, oh, you pray to the Holy Ghost of God. See, I can preach to you till your head turns sideways in circles and comes back. Ain't going to do you no good unless the Holy Ghost of God gets a hold of you. That's what praying does. Supplication. Intercession. Praying. Oh, God, don't let them sleep tonight. God, don't let God blow their finances out of the water. Ain't many folks like to pray like that. Intercession for others. By the way, we have a priesthood of the believer. We can intercede to God. This third thing there, number C, is intercession for others. Good land is 1201, and that's just the introduction. <laughs> then number D, I mean, by the way, we're priests and kings of God, and we can pray one for another. Amen? Well, I'm glad we, how many prayed for me? Raise your hand. I'm going to tell you a little secret. This is the honest truth. Now, I said that about this church, about this work, I don't know why. The first thing that was done on this property, I mean, this the sinkhole property, 16 acres of sinkholes. <laughs> Come find out right in the corner of the intersection, a bunch of old sinkholes, and we bought it. Couldn't do, what, what would you do with a bunch of sinkholes? If you hadn't noticed, they're all around you. And, uh, but the very first thing that happened on this property was a log cut about 10 foot long, split right in half, made two altars and put, and put a base underneath, two, two under each half, and it sat right out there about all oh, them trees right out there. That's the very first thing ever done to this property. You know why? Because they knew without prayer, it'll all be in vain. Pray that the spirit of the Holy One come down all is vain unless the spirit of the Holy One comes down. I'm encouraging you to pray today. I'm encouraging you to pray. Oh, Percy Ray, God told him, he said, God, I want to do something for you. I want to do something for you, God. I, I want to do something. I want to do something. I'm normal. I want to be on normal. God said, all right. He said, you start praying. And he started praying. He said, I was praying. He said, God said, now get up and get you a shovel. And he said, go out there at that piece of ground. He said, just start digging a ditch. And he said, I took my shovel. And he said, I went out there, parked my car. I got out. And I, he said, Lord, where at? He said, just wherever any looks like a good spot to you. He said, I started digging a ditch. And I was digging a ditch. And he said, there's a highway there. And he said, a big old long Lincoln Continental pulled up. Guy got out, hollered across the fence, said, hey, what are you doing? Now, this is Percy Ray. What's it look like I'm a doing? I'm a digging a ditch. <laughs> he said, did God tell you to dig a ditch? Percy said, yes, sir, he did. Whew. Boy, glad I finally found you. He said, I'm from Texas. Now, this is in Mississippi. He said, God told me to get in my car and drive till I found a man digging a ditch that's going to build a work for God. Is that what you're doing? He said, that's exactly what I'm doing. 
He said, you're my man. And he gave him, I forget how many thousands of dollars to start their first building to what they call Camp Zion. Praying. Praying. You know what? I know. We have limited the Holy One of Israel. We've not prayed. Boy, he preached a good message of the night on travailing prayer. Man, I tell you what, light your fire up. Amen. And I just want to encourage y'all this morning to pray. Uh, listen, I could give you illustration after illustration of prayer, but you know this whole work and this whole ministry has just been prayer, 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 prayer. I'll tell you what, I'm just kind of so excited. I can't help it. Please, you just hold your eyes while I get excited, all right? But I'm going to tell you something right now. About a year and a half ago, I started praying about this tabernacle deal. And I'm going to tell you what, I, we have, this is honest truth. Now, the, the, I'm, just, I'm just going to tell this. The church has got a good reserve fund that some folks gave to us who's deceased and been on the Lord, and we put it in reserve fund. Brother Lakey back there was a man that God, by, by, Brother Lakey, flag your hand. I want everybody to know who I'm talking about. Right here. Put it up there high. Can I call you an old man? You, you already have. I already have, okay. <laughs> and we had that money, and he said something one night. It saved with, he said it won't hurt nothing to have something in reserve. All right. Boy, something about that just rung. And I thought about, I thought about over there in the book of Kings where it talks about that he gave heed to the young men, not the old men. So I decided that night I'm going to listen to the old men. <laughs> and so anyway, we had about $25,000 in the account of the church whenever I started thinking about this new addition on down here that we had the shop and the new deal. And then about this tabernacle, we had about $25,000. $25,000 and hardly get you started on hard pour the concrete Don's in. Don's in has three guarantees. It'll, it'll, it'll what is it? You get hard, it'll crack, and it costs a lot. Amen? <laughs> well, anyway, but the Lord just kind of gave me a nudge. Go ahead. Well, I said, Lord, I know you want us to do this, but God, you own the cattle on a thousand. Now, this is how I talk to God. I said, Lord, you own the cattle on a thousand hills. Lord, you don't just own the cattle on the hills. You own the hills. And you own the gold in the hills. <clears throat> I said, Lord, I would like for you to provide the money ahead of time, and I'd like not to dip into our reserve if we could help that. And Lord, if you do that, I'd sure appreciate it. From that moment on, God started sending money into this church. Now, I don't get on that money, but I'm just telling you, we started getting money from people. We didn't know anywhere out of state just started coming in. We got done with this new addition down here. It's honest truth. Got done with it, all paid for and had $87,000 in the account. All right. All right. Now, I'm talking about prayer now. So then, okay, well, Lord, we think we might build this tabernacle. It looks like we've got enough money to do that. But, Lord, would you kind of keep us, you know, <laughs> that's how we pray. And I just kept praying. And you know something? That, that tabernacle's maybe halfway through. I don't know. I, I, I'm going to brag on God because all I'm doing, I'm just telling you pray. But I prayed. I said, Lord, I want to build that tabernacle. I want it all finished. And I don't want to dip in reserve. Well, it ain't done yet. Sam, what do you reckon it likes? 25, 30,000? Just a rough guess. And last Sunday, we had $135,000 in our bank account. Now, I know that go all over the country, stuff like that. I'm telling you, God answers prayer. And in fact, he's, you know what he's doing? He ain't doing that to give us all the money. He's going to say, I've got other things I want you to do. Okay? Now, I'm telling you, you say what happened? You can say what you want to. You can say what you want to. God is interested in what he's interested in. And he's not interested in Reggie having a new pickup truck <laughs> and Reggie a new four-wheeler and Reggie a new bass boat. Amen. God's interested in his work. Now, God gives candy. I understand that. He does. But I'm telling you right now, God will get in gear when you get in gear with his work. When you get take my yoke upon you, 
You get yoked up with God, then God gets in. I'm telling you something. God starts moving. Well, I'm going to do this. Then, then there's this, this thanksgiving to God. I'll tell you, sometimes you ought to quit praying and say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And then number C, communion with God. Communion with God. I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses and the voice I hear falling on my ear. The Son of God discloses and he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I'm his own. I'm telling you something. Do some of you folks good. More than me preaching at you this morning would be for you to get your King James Bible and a notebook and go out in the woods somewhere and say, God, I'm giving you the day. I'm going to spend your Lord, honey, pack, pack me a lunch. I'm going to go spend the day with God. Amen. Yes, sir. There are times that I just say, I, I don't, you don't need to make no, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. And when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy father which is in secret. And thy father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. I've seen that over and over and over and over and over. I want to give you a little something I pray for. Can I give you, I, I want all the men that love God stand up. Would you do that, please? If you're a man here today and you love God, would you stand up? That means if you're from tw- above 12 years old. Amen? Or you feel like you're seven and you feel like you're a man, you're going to go ahead and stand. All right, I want you to look around you. This week on Facebook, a preacher was rightly so complaining. Where are the men in our churches? Where are the men in our churches? Where are the men? You know what I started praying about 25 years ago? God, watch this. Send me men, listen to me, who love you, who love your word, who love their wives. Now you tell me whether God's done that or not. You think that ain't no big answer prayer. It is to me. It is to me. Because America needs men who love God, love his word, love their wives. You can be seated. Now, put that first deal up, Joel, if you want to. Now, <clears throat> all right, everybody, hang on your hats. It's 1210. I'm going to try to do this in about 10 minutes. If you've got to go, I understand. I understand it. I was meditating the other morning. I was praying. I was reading my Bible. I was studying. I was studying about prayer. In the tabernacle in the wilderness, there is a piece of furniture called the altar of incense. And it was the place of prayer. I have an entire message I'll be preaching not too long called the picture of prayer has to do with that. Well, while I was studying, it seemed like the Holy Spirit started knocking on my hard head. Hey, Reg. Yes, Lord. The tabernacle's getting toward completion. Yes, Lord. Awful nice. I sure appreciate it. God, I'm telling you, that's something else. I, just to get to see the miracle you've done. Lord, I want to thank you. Reggie, I got something in mind more than you thought. Lord, what's that? You know that altar of incense? Yeah. You know, Reggie, how many, there was a few years ago you wanted to build a model of the tabernacle and have people come. Now, I want to tell you, if you don't know about the tabernacle, the tabernacle in the wilderness is one of the greatest pictorial deals of showing you Christ and salvation and the church and how to be saved and how to live your Christian life and everything. And it's woefully ignorant American people. Used to, the average Christian knew more about the tabernacle than they know about the U.S. government. Now we don't. This is the tabernacle. Now I'm going to throw something at you. Just hang on to your hat. The Bible gives us measurement in cubits. From here to here was, uh, I'll just give it to you in foot measurements, 50 feet. Guess how wide that tabernacle is out there? It's 50 feet. Now, it's not as long. But it's exact width, almost. So I called Sam up. I said, Sam, could you come by my house? 
he came by my house, him and slaves with him. I'm telling them about something. I said, I got something I think the Lord put on the heart to do. Now I'm going to get ready to tell the church something. If we'll do this and do it right, it'll be one of the greatest ministries that you could have this church and involve a lot of people. It'll give many of you a way to serve God. If we took, one of the reasons I didn't go ahead and build a life-size tabernacle out in the ball field was because of rain and the elements and so forth. And, you know, just you can't build, you couldn't build one exactly like it. You had to be all tight, but it would be a hard situation. But now we've got to cover. If we took the post in that tabernacle out there, we can attach those curtains right to it. So we've immediately got this part right here. And I, my wife's a sower, and I'm gonna, I'd like to put her in charge, and you and your ladies make enough of the curtain material that'll go clear around that thing, all right? Now hang on to your hat a minute. It, the, four, the four deals here, the four gospels, it's the way, the truth, and light to Christ. Here's the brazen altar. I've talked to Sam. I want to build a brazen altar. Here's the laver. I want to build a laver. Here is the tabernacle proper with the lampstand, table of showbread. My brother Van sitting back here, Van, I'm going to ask you publicly, do you think you could carve the cherubims that are over the mercy seat? You don't know. You think you could with God's help? I'm going to pressure you a little bit. <laughs> you got help behind you. But here's the deal. If we were to make the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat, and the whole thing, now, we're going to have to make it. Here's, here's, my, here's what God, the vision that God gave me of it. We're going to build this where we can put it up and take it down about three times a year and have it up for about two weeks. During those two weeks, we will make it open to the public to come and take tours through the tabernacle. I'm going to need men in this church who will be priests. The the priest, and you will be dressed up in the priest's garments. And you will take a group through, and you'll come to the gate, and you'll say, Jesus is the way, the truth, and life. See, if you came under them curtains or anything or over them curtains, God will kill you. You can't come into God any other way but through Christ. Then you walk into the brazen tabernacle, and you say, this, this brazen altar speaks of Calvary, where Jesus was offered to die for our sins, and his blood was shed. And that's where you get saved. And we're going to have families who bring their children. The wife, man and wife will come in there with a little lamb, and they'll lay his head on that lamb. And they'll show them how that lamb was supposed to be slain and how that lamb was to be laid on the altar and the picture of Jesus. You just read it in John chapter 1 this morning. Behold the lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. And then you say now you're saved. You've been to the cross. Now you come to the labor and that's a picture of the word of God. You look inside it. There's water to wash with and you can see yourself clearly. Then you go into the holy place and there's the candlestick. And I need somebody who, who, who's good with metal and who can put Deals up through that, and it'll have a light. On the right-hand side, the table of showbread. I need somebody to make the table of showbread. Then there's the altar of incense. Okay? And that's made where the prayer is. Then there's the veil. And of all mornings, for Tiffany Hopper not to be here, I was going to nail her. But I think Tiffany Hopper needs to make the veil. Then there's the Ark of the Covenant. And... Then you have the coverings, and all those coverings speak of everything. How many knows what the outer covering on the top of that building was? Badger skin. You know what badger skin is not attractive? It's rough. It's a picture of the outer of Jesus, but the beauty inside there was glorious. 
And it's just like this. You can take a guy like old brother right here. And the first time I seen him, I said, man, he kind of looks rough. Now, I don't know why I said that, brother, but I did. But you know what's inside? Sweet beauty of Jesus. That's the way that tabernacle is. He takes, and, and I'm just telling you, so here's what we'd need. We'd need, we'd be like Brother Brandon come in, his wife, and, and say, we'll take Monday night or whatever it is. And they come up there. He's got his lamb with him. And, he descri- and the priest describes how they're bringing that lamb to be offered. And you take them all the way through and show them how they get to God through Jesus Christ. And we have tours. And we do this about two weeks, three times out of the year. One the spring, one the summer, and one the fall. And there's something for everybody to do. Now, I don't have time this morning, but if you want to start reading this, read Exodus chapter 25 through the next several chapters, and it will tell you that God chose men that were full of the Spirit, who had wisdom and understanding in these things. Now, let me just tell you something. We're going to make replicas of all this equipment, of all these pieces of furniture, but they've got to look right. This is done for the Lord. And when somebody walks in there, it's got to look, it, it don't look like I made it. I need some skilled people who make something and look right. And Sam, Sam, I'm just going to tell you right now, Sam is in charge. And what we delegate out, we'll delegate out. And we're going to study the Bible. We're going to, we're going to try to make everything exactly. As, and by the way, can I tell you something? Don't get all shook up. Because most of this stuff is a lot simpler than you think. Because the gospel is, the Bible says don't get away from the simplicity that's in the gospel. And so this is a new ministry that, was, uh, that we'd like to go through, the, go through the furniture one more time and I'll let them out. Okay, this is the gate. Go to the next. Go through the gate. Go to the brazen altar. Then to the laver. Then inside the holy place, the golden candlestick. Then the table of showbread. Then the altar of incense. Then the veil. Then the holy of holies where the Ark of the Covenant is. And that's what we want to make. And we want to make one a replica of what the Bible has and make it look as much as possible exactly like the Bible says. And we're going to have, build a building to store all of this in. And then we'll, we'll, I mean, we will advertise nationwide and say from this day to this day, at certain times, we'll be having tours through the tabernacle. And it's going to give us a chance to give the gospel to a lot of people. Now, that's just it. I'm wanting to do her, but I can't do her by myself. And I'm not going to run it by myself. But we just have, say, six weeks out of the year, and one family could take one day. And if I had eight or ten men that would offer to be the priest, but you're going to have to know what you're talking about when you lead that tour group through. You're going to have to know what you're talking about. And I'll help you on that. You're going to have to tell people the gospel. And at the end of it, you're going to have to give people a chance to be saved. Have you been through the gate? Have you been through the door? Have you been to the cross of Calvary? We'd like to give you a chance to do that right now. Let's stand together. I'll tell you what, this, pre- this message went everywhere, but maybe. Mercy. Uh, now I'm going to ask you this. How many would say, Reggie, I'll at least pray about this tabernacle deal. It'd be a brand new ministry that the church could do. And I'm telling you, reach a lot of people. All of us would grow in the Lord and the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it'd just be such a wonderful opportunity. 
people need this, really, they, they really do. And it's so educational and so helpful. So I hope you'll pray with me about that.